Welcome to Career Competitor, where we welcome guests to share insights that will light the fire within you to make a career of competing. Whether that be in your career, your business, your personal life, or simply within you. As the competitor within you might just be the greatest competition in your world. While I have you here, take the time to be rating the show, especially if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to subscribe or follow the show on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on. Finally, be sure to head to careercompetitor.com where you can learn all about what it is I offer within my executive coaching company and what it is I could potentially do to you as an individual or on behalf of you within your team and or organization. I would love the opportunity to connect with you, so be sure to reach out to me, steve at careercompetitor.com. That's steve at careercompetitor.com. But like I said, head to the website and be sure to check out everything that I offer and to learn more about how I can be of impact to you within your world. But for now, let's welcome in our guest for this episode of Career Competitor. Okay, our career competitor today is the founder of Boss Better Leadership Academy, the author of three books and the host of the highly acclaimed Boss Better Now podcast. Having led leadership trainings at major universities and within large healthcare systems, our guest is no stranger to bringing the best out of leaders within larger organization dynamics. Having written books such as No More Team Drama and with his forthcoming release, Employalty, How to Ignite Commitment and Keep Top Talent in the New Age of Work, our guest is a sought-after speaker and expert, insight for Forbes, International Business Times, Good Morning America, and of course now he can check off the Career Competitor podcast. It gives me great pleasure to welcome in Mr. Joe Moll. Joe, how are we doing? Oh, I am so excited to be with you, Steve. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely, absolutely. And let's start with really what it is you are doing each and every day at the moment. I always like to just go far beyond the introduction and allow our listeners to really hear what a typical day looks like for our guests. So why don't you fire away? Well, I guess the one sentence answer is I spend most of my days teaching leaders how to be better bosses and make work work for all. The nitty gritty nuts and bolts of that is that some days... I'm traveling to speak at conferences or to go into organizations and lead uh, workshops or or do various kinds of training experiences. Some days I am, you know, writing for uh, a, an outlet or for one of our own channels, our our email newsletter, things of that nature. Um, I am pretty actively involved in the National Speakers Association, and I serve on the national board there. So sometimes I'm spending time in service to that organization. Um, but by and large, I spend most of my days trying to keep my finger on the pulse of what are the conditions at work that lead people to thrive, because that's really at the center of my work. Yes, absolutely. And I, with the work that I do, as my listeners are all too familiar with, the I really want to start there because that pulse, that ability to have that almost inner awareness, that heightened awareness, if you will, to really what it is a group of individuals need from their leaders, no matter whether it's an individual leader, just the one, or whether it's a an executive team, a much more overall concept of leadership. I'm just curious, what are maybe some of your initial go-tos when it comes to really being able to dial in with that pulse that you're talking about? 
Well, I am a bit of an academic, right? I kind of nerd out over a lot of the social science research that's out there and that continues to get a lot of attention around understanding what makes people tick. And so I really kind of come to my work through that lens, and especially having spent so many years in healthcare, where there's such a high commitment to evidence-based medicine, my argument is we should be paying just as much attention to evidence-based leadership. We don't need to rack our brains to figure out what people need from their boss from their peers, from their employers, to be at their best every day. We have a, a, a slew of research going back decades that tell us what tends to activate people. At an individual level, though, Steve, which I think is, a, in a way, kind of what you were getting at, um, there is an argument to be made that the quality of the one-on-one relationships that we develop with the people in our charge are the single most influential factor in the degree to which we are able to keep our pulse, uh, keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on with them. Absolutely. And it's uh, it's really interesting hearing, and, and obviously I haven't done my research on you as well, knowing that you have that connection with the healthcare industry, because mm-hmm. I, I'm actually married to a woman who's been very much immersed in that for a long time. And, and so for me, I understand that. And it's a tricky one, because when you think about it, so much of what individuals do within that space to get to where they get to is so educational and so mm-hmm. data driven and the soft skill component is not necessarily something that a lot a lot of the time is necessarily being assessed as you go from one step to the next to the next and suddenly now you look down and you think wow i've got tens and tens of people that i'm responsible for when did this happen you know so for me i'm i'm just curious for you when you when you speak from that perspective of coming from that world what are maybe some of those hiccups, if you will, that people suddenly go, oh, shoot, <laughs> there's all these soft skills that I wasn't necessarily acknowledging I needed, and this is where I really need to start. Yeah, and and even sort of inherent in in that circumstance is – How many of those folks have the awareness that they're lacking this whole other piece, right? And my experience, and this is not unique to healthcare. This is really, you know, we opened up our borders as a as a um, a training and consulting firm a number of years ago to uh, work with organizations not just in healthcare but really of all stripes, and we see this pretty consistently, which is that. When someone gets promoted into a leadership role or selected for one from outside of an organization, and it's their first time in a leadership role, they either wash out, right? They figure out that my experience and my technical expertise that I had in my prior job isn't what I'm going to need to rely on to be successful. I've got this whole other set of challenges that I need to navigate, which are people problems, right? And so people, uh, leaders, especially early career leaders, move into their roles and they figure out sort of early on that, wow, I've got a set of challenges that I need to navigate, you know, managing conflict on a team. How do I coach this person to a higher level of performance? Uh, You know, how do I, um, make sure that I'm meeting the needs and and being in communication with a whole host of, of key stakeholders, sometimes who have competing agendas. And so often what happens is they kind of look in the mirror and they go, is this what I want to do? And some folks wash out. Some folks say, I just want to worry about me and 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 be responsible for my own thing. And so they sort of slide back into individual contributor role. And then as you sort of alluded to, Steve, some other folks go, hey, 
there's some learning that needs to take place. There's some new skills and new insights that I need to acquire. So where do I need to look? What's the education that I need to participate in? But I've also seen that there's a third category, and that is the manager who just wants to be a manager, right? The person who says, I'm going to worry about keeping the trains running on time and managing the nuts and bolts of my leadership role, the schedules and the staffing and the reports and all of the things that come with that. But they never leave their office. They never work to build those individual relationships. And so they sort of camp out in that more technical management role without ever acquiring those people's skills. Yeah, I, I love how you just threw in that third component because I think it is easy to look at this more just one or the other, black and white, however you want to put it. But to add that third dimension to this, I think is really important. And it, and it is something that I I often find myself in these conversations with my own uh, with my own clients is this notion of being made to feel as though there's a right and wrong. And I, I really mm-hmm. don't think there is. I think it, it's really more about, listen, from a leadership standpoint, if this is for you, if this is the path you want to go, if you want to explore, you want to heighten your awareness as you're talking to here on elements such as challenges, conflict, communication, all of these things, then good for you. Great. Like, go go get it. Uh, you know, make it and make yourself as good as you can be in terms of the impact that you can have. And I, I would love to just actually just have you add on to that a little bit here. It's just like, how do you, within your role with what you're doing, obviously you are preaching certain methods, you're, you're mm-hmm. trying to encourage certain ways of doing things, but you've just laid out three different potential clients, if you will, that you could mm-hmm. easily encounter. How, how do you take on that sort of situation? Well, I think when we look at what are the experiences that employees need to have consistently from their bosses, that provides a kind of blueprint for the sorts of skills that we need to uh, help bosses acquire and the mindset that they need to develop, right? There's a whole set of beliefs, I think, that leaders need to have about what their job is and how they need to go about it. One of them is my, my favorite definition of the word leadership, which is that leadership is creating the conditions for people to thrive. That's the job as far as I'm concerned. If I'm a leader, my job is to go to work every day, figure out what these folks need to be at their best, and then fight like hell to give it to them. And that's going to require me to invest time in relationships and to to develop skills like coaching, develop skills like giving feedback, develop skills like team building and, and fostering group cohesion. And these these things sound squishy, right? Mm-hmm. They sound soft, but they're they're very much tied to the retention and the turnover and the time management and the productivity that any team experiences if you've got a leader in place who who acquires those skills and those beliefs. And so a lot of the work that we do is really about zeroing in on what those experiences are that we know employees need to have, and then teaching leaders how to create those experiences. But there's one other dynamic to this, Steve, and I know that you probably know this, and it's something that we spend a lot of time talking about as well. There's a lot of research that tells us that one of the most influential factors in the performance of a leader is whether or not he or she has a peer group of leaders that they are a part of and that they get to spend time talking with about their leadership role. Gallup has actually done a lot of research in this area, and they have found that the teams with the highest level of engagement consistently have managers who are a part of a peer group of managers. And so there's an argument to be made that training may not be the most important thing. It may just be time. It may just be setting aside a little bit of time for leaders to gather to talk about 
here's what I'm struggling with. How are you handling that? What are you struggling with? Oh, here's what I've tried that's worked. Here's some here's some scripts. Here's some conversations. Here's some ways that I've intervened. That alone can be a really powerful learning model for leaders. Yeah, uh, and my my curiosity is heightened right now. I've got, I got lots of thoughts and lots of questions all flying in at the same time. And for me, I, I almost want to digest this, everything that you just said there with a, a pretty plain statement in a way that speaks so true to what you just said there, this notion of soft skills driving almost solid foundations. You know, soft skills drive solid foundations. When you talk about retention, when you talk about engagement, that yeah. is where soft skills really do have the impact. And it does feel like quite a, a, a smooth transition here to actually go into this forthcoming book. And by the time mm. we release this, it could easily be out, actually, the more I think about it. So let's just call it your new book. Yes, thank <laughs> um, you. Yeah. The And firstly, having written a book myself, the fact that you've done three now, congrats, 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 like triple congrats. Like there's, uh, there's, there's nothing about that process that comes easy. So in- incredible work. Um, employalty, you know, tricky to say, and I know there's even more to it when you when you look at the definition. I've looked a li- little bit into some of the information you provided, and it's not as simple as it looks on the surface or if, if you maybe try to assume what it means. So why don't you just start there? Get, give us your, your take on that term employalty that you came up with. Yeah, we are sort of intentionally playing a little bit of a trick on readers, right? You hear the word employalty. <laughs> you trick me. You and, trick me. <laughs> yeah, and you think it probably means employee loyalty, right? right? Which is really the focus of the book. How do you find and keep devoted employees in this new era of work? And what we've really done, though, is made the argument that employee loyalty isn't what we should be going for, right? We've been trying that for years. The, the assumption has been that in exchange for a job, we expect our employees to give us loyalty and be devoted and give it all they've got. But that transaction doesn't work. There's a whole host of conditions and experiences that they need in order to join an organization, stay long-term, and give it all they've got. And so employalty, the word, is actually a portmanteau of the words employer loyalty and humanity. So we analyzed more than 200 research studies and articles on why people quit a job, take a new job, or stay long-term with an organization. And we can say with conviction that there are three kinds of employee experiences that uh, employers need to create and deliver consistently to employees to make that happen. And and I'm sure we're going to get into what those are in a few minutes. But the overarching theme here is a more humane employee experience. Employalty is the commitment that employers make to a more humane employee experience because that's what activates commitment at work. Yeah, and I've spent a little bit of time on this myself and, and having done some research myself, nowhere near, not even within the same stratosphere of the, the work that you've been doing, but at the same time, what I love about so much that you're bringing here so far, Joe, is the is the simplicity, the simplicity mm. of it all, and and it's almost sometimes I think leaders we can start like what's this what's the secret that we're missing here? What's the hidden thing that we're missing here? And so much of what you're saying here is just saying if you just look at what's right in front of you, it's mm-hmm. right there in front of you, and you just respect that and acknowledge that then there's so much to take from that. There's so much data to be taken from that. There's so many lessons to be learned from that just by looking at what is directly in front of you. I would love for you to go into more detail here on on some um, and those three elements that you were describing. But before, before I do that, I would actually just like to think more, or sorry, just inquire a little bit more about why, why was this book something that you felt you needed to write? Yeah, well, and it goes to what you just said a moment ago about the simplicity. Mm. So uh, coming up on 
almost two years ago now, a year and a half, two years ago, I was doing a podcast interview much like this. And the host and I had this really rich discussion for 30 minutes about where commitment comes from at work and got into so many layers and so many of the different things that leaders have to get right. And then at the end of the show, he said, you know what, Joe, let me get you out of here on this. Let's put a nice bow on this for everybody. In one sentence, wrap it up for us. Where does commitment come from at work? And I went, Boy, you know, I don't think I can give it to you in one sentence, man. As we just talked about, like, there's all the things we've got to get right. And so I realized at that moment that that is a huge problem. You know, you can go into a room full of leaders, and I do this as a keynote speaker and and doing in workshops, and I ask groups, what motivates and inspires employees? And you get back dozens and dozens of answers, and most of them aren't wrong. Mm -hmm. But boy, no wonder so many folks have a have difficulty transforming uh, ordinary people into devoted employees when you have to memorize a doctoral dissertation's amount of research about the things that you need to get right. So that podcast interview actually was a big part of what led to this book. I thought the world needs a one-sentence answer to the question, mm-hmm. where does commitment come from at work? And so I, w- I worked to marry together my 20 years of experience working with leaders with what's happening in the labor market right now and what we understand are the root causes of people looking to change jobs and try something new. And so I'm going to give you the one sentence answer because it took me a while, Steve, but once I got it, I was was like, okay, surely he's got it now, right? (laughs) I've got it down. And this is the whole framework for the book. Commitment and retention appear when employees are in their ideal job doing meaningful work for a great boss. Mm. This is the it's really a Venn diagram that that is a kind of internal scorecard that every employee in every job and every company has where they walk through the door every day and if we check a couple of boxes on this in, internal scorecard people care and they try and they stay but if we fail to check these boxes in terms of their experiences their interest wanes their commitment decreases and they eventually go someplace else or worse they mentally check out and they stay and so we can dive a little deeper into each of those of those factors because there are dimensions to them, right? There's some nuance to each of these. It sounds falsely reductive, ideal job, meaningful work, great boss. But I would argue that every piece of research you've ever encountered about why someone quit a job or took a new one comes back to those three factors, as well as every story you've ever heard from someone about why they decided to go try something new. Absolutely. And, and you know, transition is just – the. Uh, it... The, the whole world that is transition, it, it only exists because of it, it's a result of so much of what you're talking about here. And, and that has been the major theme in corporate America, in the world, if you will, for the last three and a half years, pretty much, is is people transitioning constantly and, and deciding to go through a transition, deciding to make a move, deciding to make a shift. Yep. But at the heart of everything that you're saying here is that if if we can start to focus more on making it an ideal job, making it mean, meaningful work, work, and making sure we have these great bosses in place, then the commitments to remain, the commitments to do great things for one organization for a long period of time, immediately are being increased. I would love to dive into these three things because for me, I'm passionate about all of this. You know, this yeah. is this is for me. This I I see this from an individual standpoint through coaching day in day out. Yeah, I'm just curious, like where you know when you when you break those three those three areas down. Let's let's start right there with the first one, um, that notion of the ideal job and how that how you sort of extrapolate that. 
So the ideal job is is what I get in exchange for what I do. And there are three dimensions to it, what we call compensation, workload, and flexibility, right? When I experience more generous compensation, which is a continuum, right? Generous compensation, a manageable workload, and flexibility around when, where, and how I work – that job fits into my life like a puzzle piece snapping into place. Mm. And it makes me look around and say, wow, this is really working for me. And that increases my loyalty. It increases my commitment, my what's called discretionary effort, right? That extra gear that I have to give it all I've got. And we know that this is a big driver in the labor market right now, that uh, people are pursuing higher wages, but really more than anything else, a lot of folks are pursuing flexibility. They want some autonomy and some influence over when they work, where they work, how they work, how much they work, who they work with, the kind of work that they do. It's not just about remote work. It's about having some control back and some better boundaries around how work is fitting into their lives. So that's the ideal job piece. And I think what's been interesting over the last few years is that it almost wasn't even the piece that was the problem but that started this whole, it was almost the, the entire puzzle. Like people really had time through COVID to look at their entire puzzle, never mind the piece that was their job. And once they actually didn't like necessarily the puzzle, then they started to analyze the pieces of the puzzle and what they can control. And lo and behold, the place that they go and earn their money, they felt that was that was the piece of this puzzle that I can maybe start with and I can actually start to you know, examine further, if that makes sense. It does. And actually, you you sort of hit on this a moment ago when you talked about transitions. The word that we use in the book is upgrading. That mm. That's what's really happening in the labor market right now. Yes, and yes. I think what people are getting, uh, some people are getting wrong about this is they think it was all caused by the pandemic. But- we have all sorts of jobs and hiring data that tells us that going back as early as 2009, 2010, we started to see what's being labeled as the great resignation. We have seen record job switching for more than a decade in the U.S., and it's being driven by – People being exhausted. Burnout was at an all-time high in the workplace before COVID. We took fewer vacation days before COVID. There was a whole conversation taking place in the workforce about rehumanizing work and not treating employees as a commodity. And all of that was taking place prior to the coronavirus landing on our shores. Mm -hmm. But what happened is that when the pandemic arrived, it made us all braver. Right before the pandemic, a job change was a huge life decision. Right. You'd talk with your network, you'd weigh the pros and cons, but then COVID arrived and injected so much job instability, right? So much uncertainty into the labor market for so many people who then had to live with that for two years. That fast forward and you're coming out of 2021 and into 2022 and people are no longer risk averse to maybe trying something different because they haven't had that security for so long. So the pandemic didn't cause a lot of the upgrading that's taking place, but it made us braver and it's accelerated it. Yeah. And even in the most human of workplaces and corporations, the pandemic forced corporations that look at people sadly as numbers like you know we we've got to downsize we've got to do this we've got to do this and suddenly people for the first time felt like numbers they felt like hey i am expendable so who am i to be considering all these sort of things but anyway that's a whole nother episode <laughs> we can go into but i want to now move into that that second part of, of yeah. meaningful work this speaks very near and dear to me so i'd love to hear your insight on that 
Yeah. So the concept of meaningful work has actually been studied by social science researchers going as far back as the early 70s. And the concept of what makes meaning work meaningful from one person to another is complex. And certainly what I might find meaningful in my work is going to differ from what you find meaningful in your work. But we do see some patterns and themes that emerge in the research. It does appear that there are three experiences that if, if uh, employees collectively get them together, make it very likely that they'll experience their work as meaningful. And we call them in the book, purpose, strengths, and belonging. Mm. So purpose, that first dimension is really about, do I believe my work matters? Do I see that it makes a difference in the lives of others? Do I feel valued in a way that makes me feel like that I have purpose? That second dimension is strengths. Does my work align with my unique talents and gifts? Do I get to do the things I'm really good at in my job? That has a huge impact on the psychological activation that we bring to our jobs. It's why we're seeing so many organizations who are paying attention to things like job crafting and their tweaking roles to fit the unique skills and abilities of the, pe of the people who are in them. And then that third dimension is belonging, right? We know at a surface level, people will actually choose to stay with an organization simply because they like the people that they work with. But at a more sophisticated level, what we're really talking about here is inclusion. Do I feel like an accepted and celebrated member of a team? Am I a part of an organization that values me and, and working with a group of people who recognize my contributions and where I feel safe to be myself? And it's not just that belonging is so important. It's an acknowledgement that exclusion is so cancerous to an organization and to a person's ability to be loyal or committed at work. So those are the three dimensions of meaningful work, purpose, strengths, and belonging. I love it. And, and for me, it's something that you just alluded to right there at the end with the belonging component is that sometimes it's, it's not about the benefit of implementing these three things that you talk about. It's avoiding the other side. It's, it's that, ex, that feeling of exclusion and the cancerous impact that that can have. And, and all of these insights that you provided so far, while are so important, there's a, a reverse, there's an opposite to these things that maybe it's the avoidance of those things that truly is the priority. I can see you want to say something. <laughs> well, and it's interesting that you bring that up because one of the, the messages that I will deliver after I introduce this whole employalty model and the scorecard and, and whatnot at mm -hmm. conferences and workshops, one of the things that I will stress to the leaders in the room is that it's not enough to simply go back and try to engineer ideal job, meaningful work, great boss. You have to come to believe that the absence of these is inhumane. You have to come to believe that underpaying people, giving them an unmanageable workload, no flexibility, a lack of belonging, no purpose, you, a, a toxic boss, you have to come to believe that when people experience that at work, that's a violation, right? Mm -hmm. Because it perpetuates suffering. And when, when we perpetuate suffering at work, we don't just lose talent, but everything we care about in our terms of our mission and our organization suffers as well. We are not delivering quality. We're not serving our customers. We're not making a difference in our communities. And so we have to come to believe not just these, that these things are important to engineer, but that the absence of them is inhumane. Absolutely. Gosh. It's, and, and this is immediately, I'm, I'm thinking of numerous episodes from the past of people's 
people's stories, people's journeys where they've been able to avoid these things. And they've spoken to that. They've spoken to the avoidance of these things and how good that's been to them as much as opposed to maybe focusing so much on the good things that have happened, which we obviously speak a lot about on this show. It's so important, especially for leaders listening to this, that recognition that sometimes it's simply the avoidance of certain things that can really be the the defining reason as to why you hold on to employees, why you see growth, why you see optimal performance within the work that it is you're doing. And I think this, here I am bringing up leaders, this allows me to move right into that that sort of third part of, of, of what you're what you're presenting here with the book. So why don't you fire away? So great boss is the third factor of employalty. It's the third ingredient to becoming a destination workplace. And we know, and we've known for a while, that an employee's direct supervisor is the single most influential factor in their commitment, in their employee experience. And you certainly know, Steve, that there are dozens and dozens of things that leaders need to get right Mm -hmm. if the people uh, who report to them are going to see them as a great boss. But we think that the three most important are three things that often get neglected. We call those three dimensions of great boss coaching, trust, and advocacy. So coaching, as you well know, is a very specific skill. It's asking the right questions in the right order to create self-actualization. It's not giving answers. It's mining people for their ideas and solutions and creativity and treating them as the expert in their problems. This is a skill. Most leaders don't get trained in how to do it, but when they learn, even at a basic level, how to have those kinds of conversations, it can supercharge commitment at work. And the second dimension is trust. As a leader, do I grant trust and do I earn trust? We we know that trust is sort of the secret sauce of great leadership and of retention at work. If I have a boss who treats me with trust, who believes in my integrity and knows that maybe I'll get to my work product in a day, in a way that's slightly different than they would, but they still give me the chance to do it that way, that has a profound impact on commitment. And then that third dynamic is advocacy, which is our catch-all word for acting in the best interest of somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. That's what an advocate does. And so great bosses care about me outside of work and my life and my family, not just when I'm there. They care not just about the tasks and duties of my job, but they care about my career trajectory, whether or not that includes my current employer. And so they, they work to advocate on my behalf within the organization and for me as a human being. So those are the three dimensions of great boss, trust, coaching, and advocacy. Yeah, and again, going back to what we were previously speaking about in terms of the avoidance, for me, as you're speaking here, I'm thinking it, it's that avoidance of being possessive as a leader. Everything that you're talking about here, it shows that you are willing to be forthcoming in how you lead, that you have a willingness to give and understand that through that giving, you may receive, you may receive right. in return. But at the same time, that's part of the trust component. It's, it's saying, hey, I'm going to give myself as a coach. I'm going to be an advocate for you. And I'm going to give trust in your direction in doing so. And that other part of the trust, the earning of the trust, my goodness, like it's such mm-hmm. a big, big thing that as a as a leader, there's such an element of responsibility and ownership that comes with that. It's the title alone does not grant trust. And, and I think right. that's such an important part of this that I have to assume you're just all too familiar with at this point, right? 
Absolutely. To the point where we have a whole section of the book, the great boss part of the book, that dies into the difference between what's called positional authority and relational authority, right? right? I get a certain amount of cachet just because of the title next to my name. I have the ability and the power to give you directions, for example, or sure. to hire and fire you. And nothing takes that away until I'm removed from that leadership role. But relational authority is the power and influence that I gain as a result of earning your trust. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the worst boss you've ever had, Steve, and now imagine that that person comes up to you and says, uh, hey, man, listen, I know you're supposed to be off, but I need you to come in and work on Saturday. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about our reaction in that moment, we're probably frustrated. We have no interest in doing it. We don't feel like this person respects and care, but we know we're probably going to have to because this person has positional authority and they're telling me I need to do it. Now think about the best boss that you've ever had. And now imagine that he or she comes to you and says, hey, man, I hate to ask because I know it's supposed to be your day off, but I really need you to work on Saturday. Now, what are you thinking and how are you feeling? If you're like most people, if this is a great boss and this person has earned some trust, there's probably an inner monologue taking place around how, man, I really don't want to do this, but I know she wouldn't ask if she didn't need me to. And boy, she's had my back a number of times. And so, yeah, I'm going to do it. The difference is have to versus choose to. And that's where that trust and that relational authority comes from. It's such a far more powerful motivator to get people to act than any other form of trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gosh, I mean, there's there's so much good here. And the the fact that we're just hitting all of this at surface level should be so enticing for anybody listening to this to 100% go get get yourself a copy of the book because I'm, I'm already curious just about the way you structure and incorporate the research and your mm. experiences too. I, I'm sure that's just going to be so complimentary to, to some of these insights that you're already providing. But that's a lot about the book and I'm so thankful to have had this opportunity. But I know you're a fellow podcaster. I don't get too many podcasters on the yeah. show, believe it or not. So for me, I would just love for people to just learn a little bit more about why they should be finding some time to come listen to your podcast as well, man. Oh, thank you for that. That's really generous. Uh, we launched our podcast, gosh, two and a half years ago now. And it, it's funny, I had been invited for years and encouraged by people that I'd work with, hey, man, you should have a podcast. And I just didn't appeal to me in terms of the traditional like guest format. I would, I knew that I would, if I was going to do it, I wanted to do something a little bit different. And one morning I was driving to work and I was listening to our local radio show and it just kind of hit me like, that would be a fun way to do a podcast, like a morning drive time radio show with bits and segments and recurring ideas. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about what that would look like and who the audience is for it. And we launched it um, in January of 2021. And we called it Boss Better Now. And it's the whole show is focused on giving advice, humor, and encouragement for bosses everywhere. And so we really, my co-host and I, we take a lot of listener questions. We break down a lot of scenarios. We give a lot of scripts for leaders in terms of some of the challenges that they're facing. Uh, but we have a lot of fun on the show. And we really just endeavor to be food for the boss's soul. So thank you for yeah. giving me a chance to talk about that. No, of course, of course. And, and for me, 
you know, just the the space that I operate in, it's the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. I want people yeah. to be listening to the, the the most diverse and, you know, wide array uh, possible amount of uh, insight and knowledge and getting every single perspective that they possibly can. So I'm happy to do it. And knowing as well that it's rated by the Society for Human Resource Management as a can't miss show for leaders <laughs> is, is really right there, something that people should hear and, and certainly give it a chance. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm certainly going to be giving it a listen myself. I'm heading to a, a meeting just after this. I'll, I'll check in on it on, on my way over and, and give it a listen. But uh, Joe, honestly, the, the insight here, the, uh, the, the ability for people to take this type of information and be able to apply it on a, such a variety of levels is going to be something that I know is going to stick with a lot of our listeners for some time. But I'm just curious now in closing, one thing I do like to ask from time to time, you're a guy that's so driven to serve, so driven to facilitate growth in leaders, in organizations, et cetera. How do you define when Joe hits his head on the pillow at the end of the day, how do you put it in the win column? What does it mean for you to be able to put a certain day in the win column at this point? Wow, what a thoughtful question. I think it differs. I think if, if uh, well, when I speak to an organization, if, if an organization has decided to invest time and resources to bring me in and give me the privilege of time in front of their audience, my goal in my standard is that when I walk off stage, the person that hired me is running up to me and waving their cell phone and saying, oh my gosh, you would not believe the number of texts and messages I'm getting saying, this is the best program we've ever had. That's what I aspire to. That's the kind of experience that I try to create because you know, sometimes I get named as a motivational speaker and I've always kind of bristled a little bit at that <laughs> because it feels like fluff to me since sure. I'm very academically driven. But I recognize that when you give people information that has utility for them, that they can turn around and they're immediately, okay, I know what I need to work on and I know how to start doing that, that that's very inspiring. And so people get really excited about that. And so when I have people who come up to me and tell me, hey, this was really helpful, or they send a message and say, hey, this has really made a difference, that's the win, right? Being able to create transformation for people. Yeah, well, it ties everything into so it ties so much into everything that we've been speaking about here, which is the human element. So much of what mm -hmm. you're assessing here is is how is the human being impacted by the message and the work that you're doing, and clearly that is a great impact on, on a number of levels. And I'm just so thankful to have had this opportunity to bring you on the show, to learn from you, to listen to you, and I know to be able to spread so much insight to so many. Before I let you go, where can people get a copy of the book and maybe even learn a little bit more about yourself too, Joe? Thank you for asking. The book is available anywhere you like to buy books. So you can go to Amazon. You can go to Barnes & Noble. If you want to support your local independent bookstore, you can go to IndieBound.org and source it there. Uh, and if you want to find me online, you can go to JoeMull.com, J-O-E-M-U-L-L.com. Thanks, Steve. Absolutely. And all that information will be in the show notes. And again, Joe, just so grateful for the generosity of insight and your time here today. And just best of luck with everything moving forwards as well. Thanks, man. I loved our conversation. Thanks for having me. Hey, don't go anywhere. I've got my final thoughts coming up from our guest today. So please take some time. Give it a moment. Take a drink. I got a couple more minutes. I need to get out of you some final thoughts. Here we go. And my thanks again to Joe for joining us on the show today. And I want to leave you with some insight, some food for thought, if you will, as you leave and I really want to make it about that word that really launched Joe's work into the writing of the book, Employalty, which is that of commitment. And thinking of it from 
what was an undertone throughout our conversation, the human element, the human element of commitment in that as people, commitment is something that can be at times ever-present, so full-flowing in everything that we do. And sometimes for whatever reason, we can feel quite short of it. And for Joe to break it down when it comes to the work that we do in terms of ensuring that we're doing the ideal job, meaningful work with a great boss, you know, that is something that we can all start to incorporate and look inward and think about how will that same perspective about ourselves encourage us to remain more committed to whatever it is that we do. And this may not even be geared towards your career. This could be just in your relationships. This can be in the way you approach your health, whatever it might be. It's something that you can look at and say, how is what Joe is providing here from a commitment standpoint helpful and impactful for me in terms of how I show up and just simply be more committed to those things that are important to me. When we think about the ideal job, I think about what is the ideal circumstances for you to be operating each and every day. When we talk about meaningful work, I think more about what is it that you're doing each and every day where you can assess and be aware of the fact that you are really contributing to your fullest ability, that you're excited, that you're having enjoyment in what it is you're doing. And then when we talk about being a great boss, Sure, we can look at that from an external component, but why not be the greatest boss that you can possibly be to yourself? Why not look at some of these elements of coaching, of trust, of advocacy, and consider how you can maybe utilize others within your world to coach you? How can you build a greater trust maybe with yourself? And in addition to that, how can you be an advocate for what you do as well. So while so much of what Joe is presenting here is obviously geared towards the employee, to the employer, to the workspace as a whole, I want to make this about you and how you can maybe challenge yourself to become more committed to whatever it is that you're trying to pursue simply by just finding greater situations, more ideal situations, more meaningful work, and to really become your own boss in terms of the level of accountability you take when it comes to the coaching of yourself, the trust you have in yourself, and the advocacy that you have for yourself as well. So just taking a little bit of a different perspective there on Joe's insight, but I think that should really hit home for a lot of people when it comes to how you assess the quality of your commitment. But for now, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this, and I'm sure you took so much away as I alluded to, grab a copy of Employalty. It's going to be something that when you consider the, the the depth of research and insights that Joe was willing to go away and acquire in order to really model all of these insights that he provided with us today, I think that is an investment that's worth making. Just looking into the book and considering how this can impact you in your journey and maybe you in your role as a leader as well. But in the meantime, guys, listen, everything that we're providing on this platform right now, the substance, the quality of the impact and the insight is just always, always so consistently high. There's so much insight and so much food for thought to take away from the show at the moment. My guests have been phenomenal throughout 2023 so far and there is no sign of why that is going to be changing anytime soon so continue to come back subscribe to the show share an episode like this with your friends who you think it could be of service 
too. And in the meantime, best of luck with anything and everything that you've got going on within your world. And I look forward to doing this all again with you very soon. Bye for now.